Welcome to the Asians Redefining Their Success podcast, where Asian professionals share their stories of breaking boundaries and switching into more creative and unconventional careers. I am your host, Yanshi Zhou. Hello, everyone. It is good to be back with you all and happy Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. It is It has been an honor to serve all of you through this podcast and to coach you for those of you working with me. So I hope you are celebrating every part of you this month and for all the months to come. Speaking of loving yourself, this week I have Marty Noel Chengyao with us to share his transition into fully embracing the artistic writer's side while working as a software engineer, as well as his gender transition from a woman to a man. I talk a little bit more about this later in the episode, but Marty was actually a client of mine about three years ago. It's been really cool to catch up with him again, and an important note is that in the episode, I mentioned Marty's previous name before his transition. Um, I met him before his transition, and usually it's considered impolite or harmful to know to use the former name of a trans person without asking them whether it's okay or not. This is called dead naming. So for Marty, he doesn't care if people know his dead name, and his advice is that it's always a good idea to always ask whoever you're with. This is also my first time exploring the topic of gender identity publicly, and there's a lot that I need to learn that I'm learning about, so I just want to give a huge thank you to Marty for reaching out and coming on to share his story. I also want to acknowledge that there are probably times where I'm fumbling with words, um, but this is a really important conversation to have. If you have thoughts, feel called to send a message or want to share a better way to phrase something or better educate myself, feel free to do so at The Arts Podcast. I am all ears. So Marty has literally one of the best intros ever, so I'm just going to share with you word for word what he said. Marty is a troll who lives under a bridge made of Coca-Cola bottles, wild, wide ruled journals, and pink organza dresses. I hope I pronounced that right. He once got asked if he was old enough to ride Uber, and he doesn't know how to feel about it. While he's not making fart jokes or ranting about how much he hates people, but loves their third parties, he's writing about bougie lesbians being sad in pretty places. As a heads up, we did get into a bit of technical difficulty, so you will hear some wrestling sounds. I invite you to not let this get in the way of all the goodies that this episode has to offer and to keep on listening as we talk about how Marty overcame the obstacle that writing and art is too girly to finally pursuing his heart's desires and his whole gender transition journey to truly becoming his most authentic self. Hello Marty, welcome to the Arts Podcast. Hello, it's so great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so we were just catching up a little bit before we started recording, and we were saying how it's been about 
two, it's been about three years. Um, three years I, yeah. <laughs> Plus one pandemic year that we all forgot about. Oh yeah. So it's been, yeah. Cause I think I coached you around like 2018. So this yes. is our first time reconnecting, which is super exciting. And when I was coaching you, you were actually Mimi mm-hmm. back in the day, which we'll go into a little bit later, but yeah, first, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, what career you were in and what you're up to now in terms of being even more unconventional. So back in 2018, which mentally I low-key am still in, when people ask me, you know, when did you graduate college? I always like to say, oh, a year ago, you know, but it's actually been a while now. Uh So I met you when, as soon as I graduated college and I um, moved across the country to the Bay Area to pursue a career in software engineering. And I thought that was my dream job. And I thought that was what I wanted to do. Absolutely. Um, And my parents actually never pushed me to do this. It was just something I personally wanted to do. And so I was really self-motivated. That was literally the only thing that was on my mind, you know, goals, goals, just getting here Mm -hmm. and being this person and doing this work. Um, But then as soon as I got here, I was working at a startup and Silicon Valley culture tends to be very intense to the uninitiated. And even if you're expecting it, you know, it can be really overwhelming. Um, So I was at a startup where I was the only junior engineer and I was expected to do senior engineer level work. And obviously that didn't really pan out super well. Um, And I got really burnt out at work um, just with Silicon Valley in general. And I turned to the things I always loved before. I guess I got these goals in mind which was storytelling and art and photography. And now Mm. I am mostly focused on creative writing and taking pictures to go with those stories. Yeah, so you describe yourself as a writer and photographer who tells unconventional stories. So what kind of stories do you tell? So I'm working on um, all these short stories and a novel right now, and they're all set in the Mm. same universe where So homophobia just doesn't exist in this universe and neither does transphobia. It's always been completely fine to be exactly who you are. And the stories are focused a lot on femmes and women loving women. So usually I I try not to go into love stories and things like that. But if Mm -hmm. there is any sort of partnership going on, it's usually between two women or two femmes. Um, And I really like to focus more on, I guess, the types of people you don't normally see being in the center of society, um, what would it be like if they were always allowed to be there and just letting them be horrible and human, just like any white cis dude. Mm. Yeah, I was actually looking at your Instagram and I, I saw this section. Um, I, I, was, I was intrigued by, I think it was titled like Scammer. Mm-hmm. So I clicked on it and apparently that's one of the books is that is also one of the books that you're writing that you were just describing about yes so scammer is a book about a girl who goes to silicon valley she's always wanted to be famous um and she becomes an instagram influencer and kind of falls into this circle of founders and becomes one of them and it shows how this pursuit of fame and ambition and stuff kind of leads her down the wrong path this was kind of a side tangent, but um, so bringing you back to um, kind of delving into the past a little bit, um, you mentioned to me that you had a post-undergrad existential crisis. Oh, yeah. 
which I think we all have at certain points, but I'm so curious to hear about yours and how did you realize that you, you know, had to do your own thing? Wow. Um, so I was actually thinking about this the other day because when I was going through it, um, I, I was really obsessed with being productive um, for different reasons than, I guess, capitalistic productivity culture. And so when I was going through it, I was already thinking about how I could write it down and kind of make it into this whole story. But I stopped doing that. And then two years later, I realized that wasn't the whole story at all. So backing up to, I guess, being concrete about what I'm talking about, um, I was really interested in blogging at the same time I was into software engineering. And I, was, I wrote a series of blog posts about my post-grad existential crisis about kind of, you know, oh, I'm having all these panic attacks at work. I'm not really enjoying myself um, at all. I'm becoming really burnt out. But a crucial piece of that puzzle that I wasn't realizing at the time was also how much gender identity issues I was having. Um, and that didn't really come to mind until about a year later in June 2019 when I realized, oh, this is a crucial piece of the puzzle, you know, um, because a big reason why I was going so hard on the STEM career and kind of ignoring my artsy side was because I thought that, you know, writing an art is too girly. And if I pursue this and no one is going to see me as a man. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And so I knew I was unhappy with the career path I was taking, but, and I knew what would make me happy, but I was refusing to let myself take that path because of these gender identity issues that were standing in the way. And so once I, I guess, once I came out and once I kind of went through it a little bit more, I was able to mm -hmm. kind of accept, you know, I, it doesn't really, interest don't make me a man or a woman or anything. It's, it's just me, you know, and mm. those things are separate. Um, and then after that, I felt very free to kind of admit everything that had been going on. And from there, I was able to fully go through it. Mm. Yeah. So this was all in hindsight, right? Like yes. in the moment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So in the moment, you were you didn't realize that you were like doing all these quote quote more manly things to kind of like overcompensate for for that feeling. Yes. Mm, gotcha. Yeah, and what you mentioned earlier about the productivity part is super interesting because it's definitely more of like a masculine energy, and when we met, I was actually more of a productivity coach yeah. than more of like a holistic coach. Now I know we, you know, we made like action plans and all that stuff. So it's just really interesting to see like how we have evolved um, over time as well. Cause I think back then too, I was also trying to prove something mm -hmm. um, like I felt like I like wasn't doing enough. So I would also, you know, drive myself down to burnout and was just really optimizing the productivity part because I attached so much of my identity to accomplishments. Yeah, um, and so did I also. And what's really interesting now is I'm also super obsessed with productivity, but for totally different reasons. Now mm. it's, I kind of realized that I have all these stories I want to tell and all of these pictures I want to take. And there's so many ideas in my head all the time, just, you know, crashing around my brain, demanding to be let out. And I'm mortal and I can't, you know, um, <laughs> I have a finite amount of years left to be alive. And I don't know mm -hmm. if all of these ideas will get out um, in the right way at the right time. And that's what drives me now to be quote unquote productive. But 
it also kind of I also have to keep in mind that, you know, resting is super important because the stories could just go away and die on me if I don't rest. So it's mm. it's a little more holistic and a little more healthy, I think. Yeah. And right now it's like you're creating for the sake of expressing yourself versus creating for the sake of, you know, proving something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So how did you realize that you are an artist? And I thought it was so interesting where you wrote this because mm-hmm. um, to me, it feels like like, of course you are one. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about that and also what uh, made you decide to pursue art seriously. So uh, do you remember when we first started talking and you were saying, you know, there's all these, these projects that you could be doing, these one month projects. And then mm-hmm. you were suggesting, you know, maybe you could write this thing or maybe you could draw this thing. And I was saying, no, no, I want to code up this thing. You know, I want to do 30 days of week code. Um, and, I was, yeah. and then at the end, you would say, so how did this month go? And I would say, well, I absolutely did nothing because I didn't feel like doing it, you know? And it was pretty <laughs> obvious to me that, and it was obvious to me that it was obvious to you that I was not doing the right thing and picking the right projects. Um, mm. And that actually got me thinking, maybe, you know, there are things that I should be pursuing that I'm not letting myself. And I started examining, mm-hmm. you know, what am I doing? Um, when I totally just want to relax, where does my mind go? You know, does it go to, I'm I'm not saying that software engineering isn't interesting because I still really enjoy that part, but does it go there when you're just in bed, you know, I don't know, smoking a blunt and just kind of chilling out, you know, is that where (laughs) your mind goes? No, Marty, that's not where your fucking mind goes, you know? Um, Sorry, if I'm swearing, you can totally bleep this out if it's not on brand, okay. (laughs) Yeah, so, that's not where my mind was going. Uh, my mind was going to all these books that I'd read during childhood, you know, of these, these kids going through these magical worlds and finding things and there was no weird ass expectations that they're expected to have and they could be themselves. Um, I was going to, you know, colorful dresses and fashion and these cool animal fables that I had always loved. Um, and so once I started exploring that, and it still took me a really long time to accept that that was what I liked. Um, mm. I started journaling more and it's really interesting looking back at these journals because in the ones where I'm first starting to explore art the entries go something along the lines of today I will allow myself to take pictures for 30 minutes because it's my break time you know oh my goodness so attached to this idea of me being this very you know efficient irrational whatever the fuck you want to call it you know this typical Mm -hmm. Silicon Valley bro and I was seeing I was trying to make it seem as though art was a less than a side hustle to me. It was something that I just pursued when I had a little bit of extra time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like mm-hmm. today I will let myself enjoy 30 minutes and that's only 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah. And we're just going to be miserable and pretend that we're having fun for the rest of the 23 hours and 30 minutes that we exist. Uh-huh. So obviously, um, my, I guess my artistic side was more demanding than I thought it would be. And I would find myself just, just taking whole days, you know, just making art. And mm. I wasn't letting myself admit that I liked that either. Um, and eventually, I guess, I just sat myself down and said, dude, you know, you know what you're doing to yourself, right? Because this is actually what you like. And mm. you could just admit to yourself that you just like fluffy dresses and reading and writing and art. And I don't know, practicing your signature in cursive and bunny motifs <laughs> and shit like that you know 
And then another part of me said, but I don't want to admit that. And then the first part of me said, why not? And the other part said, well, because they're so girly, you know, I don't want people Mm. to see me as a weak little girl. These are weak little girl things. Um, And the second part of me said, well, you know, there are guys who like this kind of thing. What if you just happen to be one? You know, what if just because you like these things and just because you like wearing dresses doesn't make you not a dude? You know, what if you, mm-hmm. you have all these trans friends, you know, they've been telling you things, maybe it's time for you to listen and just admit to yourself, you know, what you've always known all along. And that's kind of when I simultaneously realized I was an artist and that I was trans. Mm. Yeah. So was this more of a journey or did you have kind of like an aha moment? I think it felt like a journey that I didn't want to go on that was kind of being pulled along by and I didn't realize I was on that led up to an aha moment in the moment Mm -hmm. it felt like an aha moment Mm -hmm. yeah and I'm curious what the inspiration for you to be writing so much was so I when I was a kid I loved reading and writing um and I I was that kid who never liked going to recess and playing with people I would go to the library and just sit my oh ass my down you know <laughs> and read two entire books and by the end of the week I'd read an entire section of the bookshelf that kind of person and then I would take all these notebooks and write these stories um and I was not popular in elementary school by far I would even go to say as so far to say as you know school counselors were concerned about the lack of friends I had but whenever I wrote stories, people would literally try to hack into my locker to grab them so they could keep reading them. And these were people I wasn't friends with, you know? (gasps) And I kind of just realized, you know, if this has always been something I've loved doing, it's not even something I'm doing for other people. I never wanted people to read these stories when I was a kid, you know, I locked them in my locker. But (laughs) if it's something that I love and it's something other people love, then I mean, why not just do it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you definitely have, you definitely have a way with words. Thank you. And also you decided to actually not turn your art into a business, like doing that full time. So what what's your decision making process there in terms of deciding to have a day job that supports your art versus going full time on it? So one of the reasons was that I have had a few friends who are artists who have decided to go full time with their jobs. And they very candidly told me, you know, um, and this is something that, you know, people just say, but once you make something your full-time job, it is a job. And there are things that, you know, you will have to do that you don't necessarily want to um, just to keep the money rolling in. And I was thinking, you know, um, okay, I, I can see that, you know, I could see, for example, if I were to sell my stories to magazines, they would say, you have too many queer stories, you know, make one of these characters a man or something like that. And I'd probably have to do it just to get the money that they were offering me. Um, I've had friends who, you know, there was this one, one friend of mine who was writing a personal essay about something that she was going through. Um, and she was writing the truth about it, you know, but this magazine told her that they wouldn't, they weren't going to accept it unless she changed the ending into something more positive. Oh, wow. Yeah. And things like that. Um, and so at least for the creative writing part, I decided, you know, I don't really want to sacrifice and I want full creative control over everything um and then I decided you know maybe there's another thing if I wanted to go into business for myself there's something else I could do um maybe you know I could I, I could take pictures for other people or I could write their copy for them or whatever but then um 
I landed a pretty good job in tech that is very writing focused. So I'm actually doing something I enjoy and getting money from that. And I don't really need to worry about, you know, making rent and stuff um, while kind of selling out things that I believe in. Yeah, I remember the lot um, when we when we finished coaching, you actually got a role as a technical writer at Google. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you still at the same, doing the similar things there? Yes. Yeah. So right now I do technical writing at Google and I'm the only technical writer on my team. So I, I also get to have a lot of creative control there. So it feels really good to me to have, to have this setup. Yeah, that's awesome. So I also know you write a lot. So tell us a little bit more about your you know, publishing schedule and how do you balance inspiration with, um, you know, consist- consistently creating posts? Yeah, so recently I've admittedly been pretty bad about this. For example, I say that I have an, um, a chapter of Scammer coming out every week and I try really hard to stick uh-huh. to that schedule, but sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, life gets in the way and sometimes I skip a week and it makes me feel really bad to do that. But on ideal weeks or ideally speaking, um, I have this 15 minute writing session every day where I have to write something um, completely new. That's not something that I'm currently working on or anything like that. And that keeps, I guess, the juices flowing with creativity. And I usually just use prompts for that. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I make sure that I have at least 30 minutes to work on a piece that I'm currently working on And I don't always do the 30 minute one, which is something I need to work on. Um, And then I kind of made a pact with myself a few months ago that whenever inspiration strikes, I'm going to prioritize writing that inspiration down, even if it means that I have to, you know, be a little late to certain things or not Mm. do certain other things. I really want to make sure that I'm capturing that lightning in a bottle, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that just reminds me a lot of, one of my favorite books I read, which is called Big Magic by mm-hmm. Elizabeth oh, Gilbert. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I just got goosebumps. And she also talks about the idea of like inspiration and kind of like inspiration c- comes to a lot of people and it like makes a home or a nest or whatever on the person who is open to it and who is able to like nourish that, yes. you know, seed of inspiration. Yeah, I read Big Magic a few years ago and I loved it also. Um, And I do think about that a lot. You know, every time I get an idea, I think it's one of those ideas, you know, say, Marty, you know, maybe you want to manifest me into reality. Um, And Mm -hmm. I basically, I make it a point to say yes as much as possible. Mm, So good. So in these 15 minute writing sessions, is it like, what's the purpose of that? Is it to get your your juices flowing? And like, what if you want to continue, right? Like, what if you like get really really into it, then what happens? Oh, if I get really into it, I just keep going. Mm, and okay. I've actually had a lot of cool stories come out of the 15 minute writing sessions because they're so they're so in the moment you know you don't really have a lot of time to be precious about anything um and so a lot of these tend to be really surrealistic and I just pull random things as soon as I think of something you know I just write it down and the plot takes wacky turns and there's super weird characters that almost always are not human beings and so it just really, it's just a lot of fun. You know, I feel like a little kid throwing paint around on a wall when my parents aren't home. <laughs> mm, yeah. My partner was actually talking about like finger painting in college. Uh-huh. And I was like, that sounds so cool. I've never done that before. Just having this like 
big white sheet on the wall and just like using your hands to paint. Yeah. It sounds really amazing. You should try it. It sounds like a really cool pandemic activity to do with your partner. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and I'm curious too, I'm just, you know, asking the questions that I think my listeners are going to have, um, which is when do you usually schedule these like writing sessions? Is it early in the morning or, you know, at the end of the work day? Um, it depends on how the day looks like. So basically I just told myself, you know, you always have 15 minutes in a day, you know, that you can take out. You, you take 15 minutes to take a shit. Okay. You can have take 15 minutes to write some random story. Um, and so today, for example, I'm actually moving uh, next month to a different state. And so today, mm. besides this interview, I'm also just packing up all my stuff and getting it ready to go. So I know that my mind is going to be focused on moving and packing all day. So I scheduled my writing session for the very end of the day, right before bed. Mm -hmm. But sometimes, you know, when it's a more chill day, I know that I'm going to wake up full of ideas. So I'll schedule that for the first thing in the morning. Mm, that's so good. It's like scheduling according to your energy and also kind of like your creative energy. Yeah. And trying not to be that person who says, you know, I have a schedule, so I must stick to this all the time because, you know, every day is different. Mm -hmm. yeah and what advice do you have for people who um feel like it takes them a while to like get into the mood of writing so like 15 minutes feels really short because they're just getting into it um I would say that it's surprising how okay so if you take 15 minutes out of your day right and it takes 15 minutes for you to get into the zone by the end of that 15 minutes you're going to want to keep going and mm. so I would just say let yourself go and just kind of do that thing, you know, maybe schedule those 15 minutes for a block of time before, you know, you have anything else to do. So just in case, you know, maybe you get some inspiration, you can afford to keep going and not feel bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's pretty good. What are your thoughts on, so I have some thoughts on this. <laughs> what are your thoughts on writer's block? Oh God. Um, I actually get writer's block pretty often on stories that I realize. I'm too precious about, you know, I want it mm. to look a certain way and it has to be this way. And that's why mm -hmm. I can't write it because I don't mm. have the words for that. So uh, my cure for writer's block is always just to write something completely random. You know, I was having pretty bad mm. writer's block with Scammer um, and I decided to just write a random story where the main character just goes off on a random party vacation somewhere else. Uh -huh. And it's just not related to the main plot at all. Um, and that brought me back into her universe and kind of made me reconnect with why I wanted to do it in the first place and then because I had a chapter due I just made it part of the book <laughs> <laughs> that's fun super spontaneous yeah and it sounds like a perfectionism is a huge um like cause of writer's block yeah I think it's such a blocker um because you know you have this idea and you just really want to realize it but the process of realization is messy and so mm -hmm. if the first thing that you come up with isn't perfect then you tend to say, oh, I can never do this, you know, and then you get discouraged. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, is there anything else about your writing process or your writings and what you're working on that you want to share here before we move on to um, your gender transition? Yeah. So my writing is really image focused. I think if I don't have a picture in my head about something, I can't write it down. And so a lot of times, um, I'll go shoot a photo shoot before I ever write anything about a story. Or if I have a story in my head in these 15 minute writing sessions, I try and take a picture for the story as soon as possible. Um, to me, 
writing and photography are intricately linked and they're two parts of the same whole. And so a story needs both. Mm. Yeah, I remember something that we also worked on back in the day was like organizing all the pictures you take in by uh, color. Oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah. I've at least doubled or tripled my amount since then. Oh, oh goodness. <laughs> yeah, my iCloud library is, I, I actually have a notification right now saying I need to expand my storage. So, you know, always a good time to do that. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, so, so kind of switching topics, you mentioned earlier that pursuing your art seriously also, you know, led you and helped you to come out as a transgender man. So can you kind of talk about that journey more? Um, especially since it's definitely not a very like widely discussed topic in the Asian community. Yeah. And yeah. So as I mentioned, um, I couldn't pursue art seriously and I couldn't let go of my previous somewhat toxic dreams until I realized what was driving them. And that was a lot of gender dysphoria and gender identity issues. So until I came out, you know, th there were two parts of the same thing also. Um, until I came out, I just couldn't let that go. Um, and so a portion of my art now um, one of my goals, I guess, besides just writing random fictional stories is telling the story of trans people and especially my story, not because I'm a narcissist or whatever, but just because mm -hmm. I've always looked for stories like mine um, when I was in the closet, you know, um, yeah. I always wanted to see trans dudes who liked girly things because, I mean, that's exactly who I am, you know, um, and I could never find anything. And I remember um, when I was, I think, 18 or so my first year of college I just come out um as queer and I was looking for queer stories for women loving women's stories and all of them followed this super strict you know if if she wears a dress then she must be super girly and like she wants someone mm -hmm. to pursue her and stuff like that um and I, I never wanted to fall into any predefined narratives um mm -hmm. so I really want to write a lot of things no matter how personal they are you know no matter how kind of uncomfortable they make people um, I want to mm -hmm. share that and shed more light on being trans especially being trans and Asian is a big thing I haven't discussed also um, I come from a kind of non-traditional family so they have taken it in stride I would say mm. and so I haven't really had too many issues um, coming out to anybody but I definitely have had I guess internal issues with um, this intersectionality of being trans and Asian and we can talk a little more about that if you'd like. Yeah, I share more. I love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, so um, let's see. So right now I have had top surgery, but I have, which is when you remove your breasts for a, a female to male person. And I was really on the fence about going on testosterone, you know, and quote unquote, fully transitioning. People mm -hmm. don't like that term, but I, I do think of it that way, you know, um, I guess passing as a cis man when I go on the street you know people just automatically assume I'm a dude um mm. and one thing that was really stopping me was the fact that Asian guys are really disrespected in America um and I didn't know how I would feel being like that um or being shoved into that role you know um and there's a lot of toxic masculinity in the Asian community for sure um, and I didn't want to fall into any of that um, 
and quite honestly, I'm still kind of working my way through this. And, you know, how do I want to tell my story? How do I want to be perceived? Um, and I'm not really into woke culture at all, honestly. And I just like to tell things as they are. Um, right. And so I guess it's more of my own comfort level. You know, do I really want to be, um, do I really want to be perceived as a man in society, as an Asian man in society right now? Um, because especially with all this, um, all these, you know, hate crimes against Asians, yeah. and I, I haven't worked out any of that at all, but that's where my thoughts are with us. Mm. Have you, so when people look at you now, um, and I guess this is also a question, like, totally fine if you don't know, because I'm just realizing that you can't read everybody's minds. <laughs> um, but when people look at you now, um, like, do they see you as an Asian man? And are you being treated as an Asian man? I'm just kind of curious how your experience is now um, being an Asian man versus um, before you were an Asian woman. Yeah, so so the first for the before part, um, when all these stories came about, you know, Asian femmes being targeted and all these hate crimes against them, I actually couldn't relate a lot because I personally haven't been sexualized really because of my race or because of my gender. Mm -hmm. um, I was always one of those really puny kids, you know, who was really awkward and ugly and I didn't know. I was, I think I was really innocent about all of this until I went to college. And by mm -hmm. that time I was old enough kind of to quickly grasp these concepts and be responsible um, with them. Mm -hmm. And so, I don't think I was really treated negatively for, um, but now I would say, unless I'm wearing a dress, it could go either way mm -hmm. um, because my voice is pretty androgynous and mm -hmm. I tend to wear guy clothes, quote unquote cis guy clothes um, when it's cold outside. Mm. But the other day um, I, was, I was going to the airport actually and I called an Uber and the driver came out and kind of insisted on helping me with putting my bags in the trunk because he said, you know, I always help a woman with her bags. And I said, oh, well, I'm not a woman. I'm a guy. And then he looked at me and I just happened to be dressed in all male clothing with no makeup on. I had this mask covering half my face. And my hair was up, you know, um, and I was wearing this hoodie. And he goes, oh, my bad, dude. You know, I never knew. I'm so sorry. Um, and the whole time he just absolutely thought I was a cis guy and I thought it was so hilarious um, <laughs> yeah and I've had a few experiences like that too um, and I think when people do mistaken me for a cis guy I feel very free um, I feel mm. really good and I actually haven't experienced a lot of or any anti-Asian hate um, towards me personally and I live in the south right now so I feel pretty good about that just for me though I can't speak for anyone else right yeah. Yeah. I definitely, um, I saw pictures of your top surgery when you had it in December. So that mm -hmm. was like a really huge moment. And, and I remember like reading the caption too, you said, you mentioned that you waited nine years for that moment. Mm -hmm. So that was a really long time. And so you, you've known for nine years. Um, well, I didn't always know that I was trans, but I definitely hated having breasts period always. Mm. Um, and I just remember, you know, when I was, gosh, this was a while ago. Um, I think it was in early middle school, maybe late middle school. My mom said, you know, we're going bra shopping. And uh -huh. ever since that moment, I have tried, I hated 
absolutely anything having to do with boobs whatsoever. You know, I would, I think I had this blind, like, what do you call it? The blind spot, I guess. Um, my friend was actually telling me about, you know, how people with gaps in their vision who can't see at a certain distance, their brain just kind of bleeps that part out and they have literal blind spots after a while. So if you can see really close and really far and you hold up an object at the exact spot that they can't really see and they actually can't see that object there. And I think I was like that with my breasts. Um, it's just because I hated them so much and they gave me so much dysphoria, but I didn't know that was what it was, you know? And then after I got pop surgery, I finally realized how, how much I've been waiting for this, you know, and how much I really mm. needed it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know in your um, writings too, you also talk about body dysmorphia. Mm -hmm. Can you share a little bit about that for others who haven't come across it before? So as in the definition of it or how I feel about it? Uh, yeah, how you felt about it, like how it pertained to you. Uh, okay, yeah. So it was definitely weird because um, I'd always, by the time I was old enough, um, I guess, to realize these things, people were telling me, you know, oh, you have such a nice body, you should show it off more. You know, my mom was saying that and it was kind of mm -hmm. weird. She would say, you know, um, <laughs> Why are, that's not very Asian mom right exactly <laughs> she, exactly and I she's she's great you know and I love how non-traditional she is but mm -hmm. she definitely um would buy me all these tops you know that were super revealing and she'd say you know why aren't you wearing them why don't you like showing off this part of your body you look so nice you know all of this um and I would always think wow this makes me feel horrible you know I hate looking in the mirror I just want to go home and change out of it as soon as possible you know cleavage is the devil all of these things and um it just whenever I read about people with body dysmorphia now it's so relatable um with how much they not only just hate their body but also just how much they feel a distance from it you know this isn't really me I want to hide it away I feel separate from my physical self and that's how I felt about it before I got top surgery Gotcha. Yeah. And are you, I don't know if this is the correct term, Go for so it. please correct me if I'm wrong um, or if this is like way off, but um, so I know you just recently got the top surgery. Um, are you like complete with your gender transition in terms of the, like the physical stuff? So most people, I think most trans guys don't get bottom surgery. Um, so I'm not planning to do that, but I am on the fence about testosterone not because I necessarily want to look like a cis man, but because I would love for my voice to just drop a little bit more so mm -hmm. that people would always unanimously think that I'm a dude on the phone. And I know that sound. whenever I explain it to, to cis people, they usually give me a look like, why does that matter to you? No, but it does. And so it's just one of those things that I want to do. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. It's like, and I'm just, I think it, this just came up of how like now, um, like when you look in the mirror, you can like see that image of yourself that feels really aligned yeah. with what you want to see. And you also want other people to see you in like the way that you want to yes. be seen or heard. Absolutely. What are a couple, say like three things that you wish the community or the, you know, if you were to kind of better educate the Asian community about like, what, what are a couple of things that you wish they knew about um, like transgender people or 
that you wish they knew when they um, interact? Because I also know you wrote you you um, wrote some pieces on misgendering as well. Oh yeah. Um, personally, I think the thing that grates on me the most is just point blank when people assume others' genders. Um, maybe it's a, okay. A big reason is because I do have a lot of gender queer friends, and we all share this. You know, oh, bro, why are you doing this again? Kind of moment. Um, and so generally, whenever there's a person I don't know, I refer to them as, I use they, them pronouns to refer to them, period. And then when I'm referring, you know, instead of saying this man or this woman, I say this person. Um, and then instead of saying sir or ma'am, I just say, excuse me, you know, excuse me, uh, you, lo- you left your wallet behind. And because, I mean, everyone kind of, it's kind of weird how you expect people to respond to sir or ma'am, you know, um, when you say excuse me, everybody turns around and that's really nice. Mm. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because sir ma'am usually is used um, when someone's trying to be polite. Yeah. So it's like someone that could have good intentions, mm-hmm. but then there's that like assumption going on. Yeah. And I was for a long time, I was thinking about what to use as an honorific instead of sir ma'am, because, you know, it is used to convey respect. And I do live in the South, you know, but mm-hmm. excuse me, it tends to work really well. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So you've you know, been through um, a lot of transformations, both like figuratively and physically. And I'm, yeah, I'm curious where that confidence or like slash courage comes from, like what kind of drives you to, to be able to live the life that you live now? I honestly, I think I just don't really have a need to be liked very much. Um, I do enjoy a lot of being liked and it does feel really good to be liked but I don't think I really need it um and that's because you know when I was a kid I had no friends um and I had people shoving me into lockers you know spitting my face calling me a freak calling me a tranny calling me a lesbian all the time when I was a kid um and I was just incessantly bullied when I was little and I kind of found a way to insulate myself from that because even when that was going on it felt as though, you know, I was always sitting in my little cave with, you know, my book and my flashlight and it was warm inside. It was storming outside, but I didn't give a fuck, you know? And now whenever I, I find, um, I run into situations that are reminiscent of those childhood moments. Um, I still find that I have that inner cave that I can always just go into and it doesn't really bother me. Yeah. sounds like you were able to like build up strength from those interactions. Yeah, totally. Mm. Yeah. And so this is a question I ask every guest on the podcast is basically, um, you know, back in the day, what does success mean to you? And what does it mean to you now? Which day are you referring to? <laughs> um, I guess you can choose a like time frame for yourself. Yeah. Okay. Um, so my mom likes to say that before I went to college, I was sleeping and I never woke up because I had no idea what I wanted to do and I didn't really care about personal success at all. And then the moment I went to college, all of that changed and I became this goal-oriented machine. Um, And so in college, success to me meant, hmm, I guess a lot of status, a lot of money, a lot of respect from people um, and a lot of you know institutional status also. So Marty is a CEO at a successful company is quote unquote more successful than Marty has written three books that he's always wanted to write, you know? 
and now it's completely different or it's completely the opposite. You know, I think success to me is very, so back then success was very external um, and now it's very internal. I think that there's no way to measure yourself against, that was another thing. I was always measuring myself against other people. And I realized now that there's no way you can do that, you know? Um, And to me now success means that I am doing everything I want to be doing truly. Mm, that is so grounding and so great to hear, Marty. <laughs> yes, uh, it's taken me a long time to get here. The person you are now, I'm sure, it, it like it took a lot to get here, right? There's even if you're just going through like a career change or or whatever, but you've you know gone through a career change as well as a gender change, and there's probably happened like a lot of ups and downs and doubt and uncertainty and unsureness um, versus like the person that I'm talking to today. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And to that, I will say that good friends and therapy helped me a lot. Mm. Yeah, that was actually going to be my next question, Mm -hmm. which was, um, what would you say is the one thing that has really helped you to get to this point? Two things, (laughs) good friends and therapy. (laughs) Um, But I guess if you wanted to extrapolate from that, it's, um, being really honest with myself about who I was and kind of telling people about that. Mm, Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah, so there are a lot of things, you know, starting with the whole I'm an artist and I'm trans thing. There Mm -hmm. were a lot of things I just needed to admit to myself that in the back of my head, they had always been there, you know, and I was just, every time they'd come up, I would squash them down, be saying, you know, no, no, you know, not right now, not ever, you're going to go away and hopefully die if I push you down far enough. Um, And then whenever these things popped up, um, it was really helpful for me to, you know, either go to my therapist and say, hey, this thing came up to me today, you know, I realized that I, for example, I've been really lonely all the time, you know, I want to find better friends, or I would say to the friends I already had, you know, oh, I just realized that, you know, these gender things came up for me today, you know, I want to experiment with this and this and this. And just finding people who are actually interested and are willing to listen was really important because it made me feel as though the things I was saying had significance. Um, and it wasn't just me, you know, talking to a wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a question just came up to me, but it kind of, mm-hmm. <laughs> it kind of went away. Um, but I was also curious for for the therapist that you were you're seeing um was a therapist like specialized in anything or was it more of a general therapist so my therapist was um a I he was specializing in um I guess gender stuff it was one of the things he listed on the website um and I was looking specifically for a gender therapist um not only to talk through my issues although that was important to me but because I needed a letter for top surgery and so I needed someone who specialized, yeah, in that. Oh, gotcha. Okay, cool. That's that's good to know. And the question came back, which was, I think definitely like being honest with ourselves is one of the most magical things that we can do mm-hmm. versus denying ourselves of these like deeper truths. So I'm curious for you, since you've had experience with it for so many years, is like, what's that feeling like when you're denying yourself or like not being honest with yourself and what's that feeling like when you are honest with yourself um I would say that not being honest with myself feels very you know the world kind of just turns really gray um and 
the mm. less honest I am with myself, actually, the less I feel connected to reality. Um, it feels as though I'm just dreaming and kind of walking through my life. Um, and I, I remember at my most dishonest, I think this was somewhere somewhere in the beginning of college, um, I would dissociate for whole days at a time. Um, I would just go through the motions and then I'll kind of snap back into reality at a certain point and kind of look around my room and see all the things I had been doing. I was really productive. Um, now, you know, I would look through my LinkedIn and I would say, what the fuck? Did I really do these things? You know, I don't remember this. I don't, I don't remember it at all. You know, and then other people would tell me things I was doing, you know, oh, you gave this speech or, oh, you wrote that thing. And I don't, I don't remember. It was as though someone else did it. Um, wow. Yeah. And so being honest with myself on the contrary feels as though, you know, I've kind of having this dream in your head and making it into a reality. So it's, it's, hmm, how do I describe it? Um, it feels like stepping into, your destiny almost you know you're so grounded that everything feels real and that you feel everything and that you remember everything and it almost feels as though the entire world is coming together to help you along that path mm, that's so good what you described to me what I got from it is that like we're not being honest with ourselves. it's kind of like you're you're sleeping or you're just kind of like going through the motions and then when you are being honest with yourself there's that sense of like aliveness going on exactly very eloquent <laughs> and what you just just described too it feels like um like living a really aligned life right I'm just a really great predictor because I wrote this down earlier so <laughs> <laughs> you get to you get to do two pieces of advice so what's a piece one piece of advice you would give give for someone who um wants to live a more aligned life as an artist and what's the one piece of advice you would give to someone who has lots of doubts or maybe like struggles with their gender and would love to live a more aligned life with how they truly see themselves or what they truly identify with so I think both of those things um the core of it is you're going to have to be very honest with yourself and also with others and with that comes a lot of sacrifice um, especially in personal relationships um there are going to be you know a lot of big life changes for either one um you know just for example just prioritizing your art um you know if you have a partner who just really wants you to spend all your time with them, you know, and you want to give more time to your art or a job that really demands a lot of you, you have to really think to yourself, you know, if I want to prioritize my art, am I willing to take less time for these things that I have, I have previously thought was very important um, or previously, you know, really prioritize? Um, and then with gender, it's similar, but it's also, you know, am I ready for to kind of fight for the rest of my life um especially if you're gender non-conforming um am i ready you know to sacrifice kind of this certainty that i have um to live a more aligned life and i think it's always completely rewarding um but there are always a lot of challenges and you have to be honest with yourself about the challenges as well mm, yeah such great advice um, do you have, and maybe you already answered this, but do you have like a favorite resource or book, podcast, Instagram, whatever it is on um, like living the more unconventional life, whether it's being an artist or being trans? So my favorite um, 
trans resource is actually Reddit. Um, there's a bunch of subreddits I just really troll all the time, um, especially when I'm feeling dysphoric. And troll as in lurk, not as in actually say incendiary things, although I also do that sometimes. Um, I, I will link them to you, but my favorite one is r egg underscore IRL, which is a subreddit full of memes about kind of being in denial about being trans, but also really obviously being trans. Um, and it's a really supportive group of people, I would say, who are all going through the same thing as you. Um, and so whenever you, whenever I'm having a bad day, maybe someone misgendered me multiple times, you know, I just go on the subreddit and I'm like, okay, you know, here are thousands of people who have the same exact experience as me. I'm not alone in this. Um, and, you know, if I want to rant, they're always here to listen to me. Um, there's also our FTM femininity, which is for trans guys who like girly aesthetics. And that one's also really cool because um, there are these dudes at different levels of physical transition and all of them love girly dresses and dressing really femme. Um, and it's really refreshing to see that. Um, it's, it, this one is mostly pictures and I don't go on it as much, but when I do, it feels really good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I know your Instagram is filled with all these colorful, beautiful dresses. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have too many. I have looking at them right now, thinking about packing them is, uh, but it's worth it. <laughs> and for art, um, I, hmm, I think that I mostly just do art. Um, I don't know. I, I don't really um, look for specific artistic inspiration, but I do read a lot of books and I do look at a lot of photos and I can send you a few of my favorite. Uh, Instagram photography account. Mm, yes, that would be awesome. And I'll make sure to link all that in the show notes below. Um, so lastly, what's one small step that someone could take, you know, who are listening right now and contemplating whether to go for that less unconventional, less conventional life, more unconventional life? <laughs> <laughs> um, one small step they could take. This is the action plan in me coming out, right? Yes. I think the first thing is getting really aligned um, with exactly what you want, or maybe even just doing a little bit of, I guess, if you're still in that rational mindset, you can call it future planning, strategizing, mm -hmm. but I like to just call it daydreaming. And, you know, just get out your journal or whatever. You don't even need to do that. I don't know. Get out your vape pen, something that makes you, you know, comfortable and ready to be honest with yourself and just kind of think, you know, um, if I were to do something I liked more, um, exactly how would I feel um, once I got there yeah I also love that you said like instead of the future planning which feels like so heavy and that you need to be so like meticulous and you know set aside a lot of time for like that versus daydreaming which just feels so nice and open spacious playful and it's like one of those things that's like oh yeah it could be really nice if I did this which means that you really want to be able to do it and so that's yeah. like the direction that you can create into reality totally and then uh, while you're doing that things will come up you know um, all these doubts and all these things and you can just write those down and address them too so a big one for me for example was um, when I was thinking about my gender identity and using he him pronouns and I was thinking oh this feels so good you know to have people validate this part of myself and I would think, oh, but what if a random stranger doesn't know? And, you know, they call me the wrong pronoun. I feel really bad. 
And then I would say, you know, well, in this situation, um, I would just, you know, go and journal or I'd go on Reddit or I'd rant to someone else about it, or I would just correct them. And, you know, it's not really something that's going to deter my day. And ultimately, at the end of the day, I still feel really way better using the pronouns that feel aligned with who I am. Yeah, it's kind of like shedding a light on that worst case scenario. I also love like going through scenarios in my head. It's kind of, I call it like self-coaching. I love doing that in the mornings. Just like, what if this doesn't work out? What if, you know, this happens? And and I write, write down all the things I would do. It's like, okay, yeah, like I'm totally fine. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I call them visions and anti-visions. So an anti-vision is something that you don't want to happen. Whereas a vision is something that you do. Mm, I love that. Yeah. So finally, where can we find you for advice or your writings? photography, all the things. So my website is theantisocialite.com. And then you can find me on Instagram at antisociallight with two L's. So it's like antisocial light. Ooh. <laughs> yes. So that double meaning, the wordplay there. Um, and anyone who wants to DM me, I, I'm always checking my mailboxes. You know, if you say something weird, I'll probably say something weird back. Just letting <laughs> you know. But I'm always open to talk. I love that invitation to just be weird. Yes, please. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Marty, for coming on today. Um, this was such like a raw episode and I'm so grateful for you for sharing your story and highlighting the importance of being really honest. And it's just so amazing to see you really like thriving right now and super glad that we got to connect after three years. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much for having me again. I really enjoyed this. 